And I'll ask the rest of you to stand as we read our scripture this morning. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. You may be seated. Good to have each of you with us. Good to have those of you who are watching through the live stream. Let's come before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. And it's time to come before you and look into your word. And pray, Heavenly Father, you would be especially present with us to open our hearts and minds to you. Pray that you would guide my words and my thoughts, and I pray that you would anoint them so that they would reach each one of us and draw us close to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Stuart Briscoe tells the story of a young pastor who was officiating at a funeral of a war veteran. The dead man's military friends wished to have a part in the service at the funeral home. So they asked the pastor to lead them down to the casket, stand with them for a solemn moment of remembrance, and then lead them out through the side door. He agreed to do so, but unfortunately the effect was somewhat marred when he picked the wrong door. The result was that they marched with military precision into a broom closet in full view of the mourners, and had to beat a hasty retreat. This morning I'm going to talk about skeletons in the closet as we look at another one of our common fears. We're going to talk a little bit about how skeletons get into our closet and also how we can get them out of our closet. Now coming out of the closet has come to mean something very specific in our society. It has come to a person publicly revealing that they've chosen a lifestyle 
based on a same-sex attraction. More and more, it's being done boldly, without any remorse, amidst claims that God created them that way, and they're, they're simply living out the way God created them to be. It's even done in celebration, as with so-called coming-out parties and gay pride rallies. In many cases, the media, the entertainment industry, and even our lawmakers flock to support the practice. While those who would stand up for, for biblical truth and denounce the practice as sin, which God's word clearly indicates that it is, are labeled as hate mongers and intolerant. For David Morrison, author of the book Beyond Gay, coming out of the closet meant something different entirely. He first revealed his same-sex attraction to a Christian counselor. I think I'm a homosexual, he blurted out at the beginning of the second session. And he writes, there I'd said it. Silence. I looked at him, and he didn't say anything. His face registered neither approval nor disgust. Well, he finally said, go on. My life's revolution started in that nondescript office. I had carried this huge, unbearable secret and denied it even to myself for many years. Now, years later, this is one of the only things upon which advocates for same-sex activity and I agree. Life is far better outside the closet than it is in it. The power the attraction holds over life drops sharply when we first admit its existence to ourselves and then to at least one other person whom we trust and we know loves and supports us. Of course, the difference for David Morrison was that he found Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he allowed the Holy Spirit to transform his life. He found that bringing that desire out of the closet and into the light of God's love reduced the hold that it had on him and allowed him to get victory over it. The distinction between those two very different ways of coming out of the closet is important this morning as we look at dealing with skeletons in our own closet. Perhaps we need to first ask, what skeletons in the closet are we talking about? There's quite a few different things that we could describe as skeletons in the closet. To me, the basic meaning is this. Those things in our past of which we are not proud and which we would prefer to keep out of the view and knowledge of others. Beyond that, it struck me that there are two kinds of skeletons that we have in our closet. One is events in our history, or in the history of our families over which we had no control and really bear no responsibility. Like the great-great-uncle who was a horse thief, or the great-grandmother who chewed tobacco and swore like a sailor. And, and you're all picturing that, and now you're all <laughs> In doing a project in one of my seminary classes, which involves some research into my family history, I discovered that one of my grandfathers on my dad's side, who died soon after I was born, was for a period of time a member of the Ku Klux Klan. I count myself blessed that he did not pass those views on to my father, and I saw none of that in my own upbringing. But still, I was rather dismayed at that truth and certainly not proud at that discovery. Yet it was something over which I had no, no control, something that was not my responsibility. 
Unfortunately for some people, there are skeletons in their closet for which the lines of, of responsibility and, and control have become somewhat blurred. Those who may have been physically or sexually abused by parents or relatives and who have somehow been made to feel responsible for what they endured there. Those who, who grew up in poverty or with alcoholism in the home and again were somehow made to feel that that was their fault. Those kind of skeletons are particularly difficult to deal with. And that's when getting a hold of God's wonderful love and acceptance for us that we talked about a week or so ago becomes even more critical. Understanding that whatever the world thinks of us, God loves us. Even then, it may take some time with a Christian counselor who's trained to deal with those destructive issues. It may take that to deal with some of those issues in our past. The other more universal type of skeletons, I think, are those things which were very much in our control and for which we are responsible. Those things which were very much in our control, things for which we were very much responsible. Bad decisions, unkind or disrespectful words, destructive habits, embarrassing actions, sins that we've, we've probably all at one time allowed to control, in our control our lives and we can't quite believe that we did. Those are things that we have all probably done at one point in time. And the skeletons that we're going to talk about this morning fall into that category. We're going to look at how we can deal with those sins from our past that we have kept hidden from the world, undealt with, buried in the closets of our lives. These skeletons get into our closets when temptation drags us into sin. James tells us, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James describes the process where Satan uses our own evil desires to drag us down and pull us away from God. It starts with allowing that sinful desire to remain in our hearts, to have a place in our minds. And Satan uses that as a stronghold, stronghold to launch a full-scale temptation attack against us. He bombards us with appeals to that evil desire. And when we give in to that desire, sin is born into our life. And as sin grows, it leads to death. <clears throat> Put yourself in, in the place of a crime scene investigator. If you come across a skeleton of a person or an animal, what does it mean? It means that something has died. You're not going to have a skeleton or a skull unless something has died. Skeletons are an indication of death. The skeletons of past sins, bad choices, evil desires, and so on are little pieces of death. They are reminders that desires led to sin and sin to death. Not, not death in a physical sense, but death in a spiritual sense which is simply separation from God. There are two things that we must never forget about sin. 
First, sin always separates us from God. God is absolutely holy. There is not a trace of darkness or evil in him anywhere. So when we allow sin in our lives, particularly unconfessed or unrepented of, it will separate us from God. Secondly, sin always has consequences. And those consequences normally exist apart from God's forgiveness. David committed adultery and murder, acts for which he deserved eternal separation from God. He was forgiven, and he was restored to fellowship with God. However, sexual sins continued to haunt his family, and the lives of four of his sons were required in return for the life that he stole from one of his faithful servants, one of his faithful followers. Apart from God's forgiveness, sin still has consequences in our lives. However, there is some really good news about those skeletons in our closet. They are never too big to scare off God. Let me repeat that. They are never too big to scare off God. David's sins were right up there near the top of the list in terms of, of ugliness. Moses and Paul were also murderers, yet God did not turn his back on any of them. He forgave them. He restored them. He used them <clears throat> to do great things. No matter how big or ugly or scary your past sins may seem to you, they are not too big for God. They will never scare him away from you. However, unconfessed sins are skeletons weigh heavily on our lives. Verses 3 and 4 that Gary read earlier. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. I still remember the, the first time that I ever really got in trouble in school. There were quite a few other occasions I've forgotten, but I do remember the first one. I was in second grade, and I pushed someone while we were lining up to come back from recess. And so my teacher said that I had to stay in from recess the next day. On the scale of a second grader, that was pretty serious stuff. And I remember going home and just feeling the weight of the whole world on my shoulders that evening until I finally confessed and told my parents what a horrible thing I had done. Unfortunately, as I got older, my response to getting in trouble changed a bit. I got pretty good at covering it up, or so I thought, although my parents usually found out anyway. And while I thought I was getting away with things and that my actions weren't really doing any damage, they were leading me into things that I still look back at with regret. Our skeletons are never tucked away in the closet as neatly as we think. Jesus told his disciples, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. The burden of trying to cover our past can be overwhelming. And one way or another, 
The things that we think are hidden will reveal themselves in our lives. We certainly can't hide our past from God, and we can't escape it ourselves. Greg Lewis in Leadership Magazine wrote, Guilt works like an inescapable videotape machine that refuses to forget the mistakes we've made. I still, I still picture some of those things that I did as a teenager and wonder what I was thinking and, and, and how I could have been so stupid. It seems to me that David points to two distinct effects of unconfessed sin. And, and the first is an end to joy. An end to joy. For, jo for David, joy and praise and laughter had been replaced with groaning all day long because of the weight the heavy weight of unconfessed sin in his life. Sin robs us of the joy that God intends to be a part of our lives as his followers. David also points to a draining of our strength. In 1 John, uh, 1 John 1, verses 8 and 10, we read, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then, if we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. When we refuse to acknowledge our sin, we remain separated from God. And his word has no place in our lives. It's like being out on a, on a hot summer day with no water to refresh us. And we quick, quickly grow weak and tired. That's the difference between those two ways of coming out of the closet that we talked about earlier. Those who refuse to acknowledge that what they are doing is sin have no strength to overcome it. While those who confess can get victory over that sin in their lives. Great benefits come to those who receive God's gracious forgiveness. Great benefits come to those who receive God's gracious forgiveness. That is not original to me, but I cannot tell you who the author is. But it's a very good statement. Verse 5 that was read earlier reads, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Blessings begin to flow in our lives when we acknowledge and confess our sin. And as we come into God's presence to seek his strength to overcome temptation. And David enumerates these blessings. First, we have forgiveness and freedom from guilt. David says, you forgave. When I did these things, you forgave the guilt of my sin. And earlier he wrote, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. What, what freedom and blessing there is in knowing that our sins have been removed from our account. It's like having a, a credit card with, with a large ongoing balance and, and many charges each month. And then suddenly you get a statement with no activity and, and no balance and you find that someone else has paid it in full. That's what Jesus did for us when he went to the cross. And that's the forgiveness that, when we, that we have when we come to him and confess and repent of our sins. Second, we have a place of security with God. I'm reading verses 6 and 7 in the New Living Translation. Therefore, 
Let all the godly confess their rebellion to you while there is time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of joy. Verse 10 says, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Instead of living in fear of God's judgment, we have the security of living in his mercy and protection, knowing that our lives have been made right with him through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Third, we have access to God's guidance. In verse 8, it's almost as if God begins to speak back to David. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. When we confess our sins, we reopen the door to God's guidance in our life. His Holy Spirit is free to guide us and, and lead us into all truth. He is free to give direction to our lives and show us things to come. And finally, number four, we find a restoration of joy. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. In Psalm 51, which is David's psalm of confession, we read, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. There is great joy in being released and being freed from our past sins. Lee Strobel and Gary Poole, in their book, Experiencing the Passion of Jesus, share this story. And I'm not sure which one it relates to, but it doesn't really matter. It says, an acquaintance called with what he said was an embarrassing request. His little girl had been ca caught shoplifting from our church bookstore. And he wanted to know if I would represent the church so she could come and apologize. He said he wanted to use this incident as a teaching moment. I agreed, but I had a much different lesson in mind. The next day, the parents and their eight-year-old daughter trooped into my office and sat down. Tell me what happened, I said to the little girl as gently as I could. Well, she said as she started to sniffle, I saw a book that I really wanted, but I didn't have any money. Now tears formed in her eyes and spilled down her cheeks. I handed her a tissue. So I put the book under my coat and took it. I knew it was wrong. I knew it shouldn't do it, but I did. And I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll never do it again, honest. Pastor said, I'm so glad that you're willing to admit what you did and say you're sorry. That's very brave, and it's the right thing to do. But what do you think an appropriate punishment should be? She struck. She shrugged. I thought for a moment before saying, I understand the book costs $5. I think it would be fair if you paid the bookstore $5 plus three times that amount. That would make the total $20. Do you think that would be fair? She nodded very sadly. Yes, she murmured. She could see the fairness in that, but now there was fear in her eyes. $20 is a mountain of money for a little kid. Where would she ever come up with that amount of cash? I wanted to use this moment to teach her something about Jesus, so I opened my desk drawer, removed my checkbook, and wrote out a check on my personal account for the full amount. I tore off the check and held it out to her. Her mouth dropped open. I'm going to pay your penalty so you don't have to. Do you know why I do that? Bewildered, she shook her head. Because I love you, 
because I care about you, because you're valuable to me. And please remember this, that's how Jesus feels about you, except even more. At that moment, she reached out and accepted my gift. I wish I could find the words to describe the look of absolute relief and joy and wonder that blossomed on her face. She was almost giddy with gratitude. This morning we've been talking about skeletons in our closet and how bringing them out, out of the darkness, out of the closet and into the light of Christ can decrease the hold, over they, the hold they have over us. We talked about how our, our lack of joy and strength can be replaced with forgiveness and freedom, with security, with God's guidance, and with the restoration of our joy. That all happens through confession and repentance. If you have past sins in your life that are weighing you down, if you have unconfessed sin that you've never brought to the Lord and asked for his forgiveness, I invite you to do so this morning. You will be coming for you will be coming before a God who deeply loves you, who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you and to pay for those sins on the cross. So you, you can openly lay out before God whatever the Holy Spirit is laying on your heart and mind. He is the only one who can truly forgive. He's the only one who can truly grant release and freedom from the guilt that Satan has been using to hold you down. He's the only one who can bring you back into a right relationship with God so that you might live in joy and freedom that comes from forgiveness. Don't let your past sins weigh you down. Don't let skeletons in your closet scare you away from being all that God wants you to be. Let me say that again. Don't let skeletons in your closet scare you away from being all that God wants you to be. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be very present in each one of our hearts this morning. And I just pray that if there are those things in our past that are weighing us down, that are breaking our fellowship with you, that are keeping us from being all that you want us to be, that are keeping us from joy and strength. confidence that should be part of our relationship with you. I pray that you would show those things to us. And I pray that whether publicly or, or privately in whatever way you prod and, and direct in whatever way we need to do that this morning would be a time for us to lay those things before you. Know that they are covered and dealt with. And walk away 
and a new assurance in our relationship with you. Speak to us and touch our hearts this morning. 